are entering the Freedom Hut. Exoneration for President Trump. The Mueller probe is over, and now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the president did nothing wrong, and all of the ills came from the other side. That's right. The Democrats and their media allies were engaged in a sham, a hoax. We'll talk about that. Plus, a very bad day for Trump critic and opponent Michael Avenatti. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So after a long look, after a long... Investigation. After so many people have been so badly hurt. After not looking at the other side. Where a lot of bad things happened, a lot of horrible things happened, a lot of very bad things happened for our country. It was just announced there was no collusion with Russia. The most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There was no collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction and none whatsoever. And it was a complete and total exoneration. It's a shame that our country had to go through this. To be honest, it's a shame that your president has had to go through this for before I even got elected, it began. And it began illegally. And hopefully somebody's going to look at the other side. This was an illegal takedown that failed. And hopefully somebody's going to be looking at the other side. So it's complete exoneration, no collusion, no obstruction. Thank you very much. Thank you. Complete exoneration, no collusion, no obstruction. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Special edition because it's pretty much the best day since Trump won the presidency. I think that's fair to say. Feels good, right? It's morning in America, my friends. Things feel good, doesn't it? Take a moment, all of you, please. After all we've been through together, after all the times we've had to come together here on air and discuss the latest Democrat oppo efforts through the media or through Congress or whatever to say the president's a traitor. The president's a Russian agent. He's Putin's puppet. That his family members were going to prison, that this presidency's over and done with, that the walls are closing in, the noose is tightening, the president's finished, all this stuff. And we kept our heads. And we were right. We got it right. I do not have to sit here and tell you guys, I'm, I know, I know I was trained as an intelligence officer and I, I've been reading all of your messages and taking your calls. And, you know, I guess we all were somehow fooled. Uh uh-uh. uh. We were right. A multi billion dollar media apparatus was completely wrong. All the Democrat media, I mean, there are some journalists that are notable exceptions. There's a handful of them on the left, actually. But the rest of them were just on board for this. What a, a horrific hoax. 
a completely insane scam. And it was all an effort to overturn the legitimate election results of 2016. Democrats, progressives, they live in these bubbles. They have these echo chambers. They're snowflakes. They get triggered easily. And they could not handle that Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. Everything else is just kind of filling in details. When push comes to shove, that's what this is really about. They can't handle losing. They have to be in power. They don't understand who they are in a world where their views and their sense of, of self and their own importance is not being magnified by the media and government apparatus on a daily basis. Anyone who challenges how smart or wise or important they are by confronting some of their worldview, by refusing to play by their rules, by refusing to bend the knee, Anyone who does that is a threat to them that they cannot abide, and President Trump is the biggest one that they have ever come across. Exonerated, my friends. No evidence to charge the President of the United States with after two years of this. After all the reckless speculation, and we knew it was reckless. And I'm going to get into some of the details and and some of the the legal specifics here about, I, I think that Mueller showed a little bit of his hand here. I do not think that Mueller's somebody that everybody should be giving applause to over this just because he didn't indict the president or didn't try to indict the president. Um, I, I, I want to get into some of the specifics. We all know the Democrats are not going to accept this. They want to move on to other things. They want to move on to other investigations. They're lying now about what they were saying all along and what was predicted by their side. But, oh, no surprise here, they... They also want to claim that it's because Barr is the hand-picked attorney general, right? They, they will undermine the system. I thought undermining the system was bad. Well, they'll undermine whatever they want, whatever they can, if it serves their purposes. Um, CNN claiming that this does not exonerate him is a farce. But CNN has turned into a farce. And that's just where I wanted to take a moment because we've been we've been in this we've been on this ride together for two years now. Um, I was opposed to the appointment of the special counsel from day one. You know that. I have thought all along that this was an exercise in political retribution, the weaponization of my former employer in, in the intelligence community, of the FBI, the CIA, the weaponization of FISA the abuse of government authority, the real collusion between media and the Democrat Party and Democrat operatives in the FBI, the deep state, which is very real. All of the efforts, by the way, that the other side made to hide the truth from us, to lie, took over a year to find out that the dossier was funded by Hillary Clinton. Why is that? Because people were hiding the truth. But we knew We knew because we pay attention, because we're honest, and because we understand how this country and how this world really works. We know who is on the other side. We know what we face here in the opposition in this country, the lengths that they will go to. We understand our political enemies, and we know what they're capable of. So please, today, in your own way, however it is, Celebrate a little bit. 
This is a very good day, not just for Trump. It's a very good day for the country. Anyone who does not understand that does not care about this country. The president is not a traitor. The president did nothing wrong. And that is now confirmed. We should all be happy that we can move past this. At least those of us who are willing to face facts and reality can move past this. But do take a moment for yourself, team, especially for all of you who have been all along so supportive of me and this show and all the heat that I took and the terrible things people at CNN said to me publicly and privately about how I was a stooge for Trump and how I was just all of that. Just remember, take a little victory lap for yourself, even if it's just in your head. We were right. They were wrong. Trump is innocent. The guilty parties, my friends, are the Democrats and the media. More of that coming up. My takeaway is there's a very real prospect that uh, that he may be the first president uh, in quite some time to face the real prospect of jail time. Do you agree with Congressman Adam Schiff, who is going to be the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, that President Trump could be uh, indicted and possibly face jail time after he leaves office? Yes. If we do the investigations, the information is there. We're fiddling while Rome is burning. This president needs to be impeached. And I think they're shocked that the noose is tightening the, and that people might go to jail. You're exactly right. For the that, rest of their lives. But you think some people are going to wind up in jail, not just one individual, but people, plural. Is that what you're saying? That's my impression, yes. It certainly looks uh, like they are the kind of offenses uh, that would call for impeachment hearings. Absolutely, I think he can be looked at and perhaps even charged with obstruction of justice. Well, I think they're all going to end up together in prison, and maybe that's a good thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) He has no idea that he's going down. These people are nuts. Those were... That was a whole collection of you know, mainstream media darlings. Most of them paid millions, millions a year to be imbeciles, to have bought this completely implausible, nearly evidence-free. It really is evidence-free. I mean, they, they faked the evidence, right? I mean, the dossier was, was a, a, a false document. So they faked evidence. They had very little evidence, even with the faked evidence. They weaponized the intelligence apparatus against a political candidate. And the guardians of our republic, you know, the the firefighters of the First Amendment, so to speak, bought this stuff hook, line, and sinker. They just took it. They ran with it. They should be ashamed, but unfortunately, I know they won't be. In, In many cases, I think it's been... Uh, financially and professionally really advantageous for these people. Uh, it, it has it has made their ratings go up. It has pushed their careers. I'm, CNN's ratings are, you know, they're, they're crappy compared to Fox and MSNBC in general, but I'm sure they're up from CNN's even crappier ratings. We've had two years of the most deranged, overhyped, reckless speculation and propagandizing from a media that if it is so left-wing now and so self-referential and in love with itself. And I, and I think we need to just build up a media from scratch. I really do. I mean, there, there needs to be a, a total rethink of what's going on with news media in this country. I mean, here, we, we got more where that fun came from. Play, play clip two. 
He is going to be delivering what I think are going to be his indictments, the final indictments. I would not be surprised if there were a number of indictments that still were going to come down the pike. There are indictments in this president's future. That's a bombshell. The bombshell. This bombshell. Drop the bombshell. Bombshell accusation. If this BuzzFeed News report is true, then we are likely on our way to possible impeachment proceedings. And at that point, we are in high crimes and misdemeanor, and we are in impeachment right, territory. Right. This president needs to be impeached. Impeachment is the remedy. I mean, the president can't... It's the only this, remedy. The spirit of what Trump did is clearly treasonous. This is moving into perjury, false statements, uh, and even into potentially treason. There's outright treason. I mean, there is no question. I think he's feeling the noose around his neck. Oh. And I think they're shocked that the noose is tightening. He feels the noose is tightening. The sound of hoof beats of all those investigations catching up with Donald Trump must be loud in his ears. Hmm. What a bunch of psychos. Treason? They they run around saying the president of the United States is guilty of treason? No, no evidence. No circumspection really about it either i mean they they just jump right to it well you know we're gonna get we're gonna get them the noose is tightening that's the that's the kind of terminology they use to describe this president's future and they're talking about treason these are the things that they were saying on air on a regular basis and and clapping for each other thinking that this was this was wise this was good journalism they are a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. And while I'm very much caught between two feelings here, on, on the one hand, I feel like it should be said that, you know, they, we won, and I'm happy about that. And the good guys won this battle, but we've been through a terrible battle that we shouldn't have had to, shouldn't have had to go through. And we lost, we lost people along the way, and we took losses. You know, General Flynn is still facing prison time for a total setup. He should be pardoned tomorrow. Probably won't be pardoned tomorrow, but I, I do think he'll be pardoned in the next month or so. That's, that's what I'm hearing from my people, which would be the right thing to do. Paul Manafort, okay, the guy didn't pay his taxes. He should make financial restitution and, you know, time served. Commute his sentence. Let the guy out. Let him be with his family. He's been through enough. He's been in solitary confinement for almost a year. Let the guy out. You know, uh, Page should get a check from the federal government for about you know ten or fifteen million dollars. How about that? I mean, there are people here who were really wronged. Maria Butina was smeared as some kind of Russian honeypot. You know, it was a honeypot operation where they put a, an attractive woman out there to try for espionage purposes. I mean, that's what. That's what the mainstream press said about her, based on nothing. She wasn't doing that. She wasn't trading sex for favors. I think that's, I'm sorry, it's one thing to try to influence policy or make friends. Another thing to be sleeping with people, you know, that, and that's what they said about her. Lies. Lies. So there have been losses we've taken along the way here, too. I mean, and when I say we, I just mean the good people, the good side. Uh, they were willing to put so much on the line here. And I think we have to enforce that there are real losses that they suffer as a result of this. I mean, the, the media cannot be trusted again. CNN is not a nonpartisan source of news. If you believe that, you are lying to yourself or you just don't know any better. 
CNN is the wing, the for-profit wing of the DNC media apparatus. That's what CNN is. MSNBC is just, you know, a competitor DNC media wing apparatus to CNN. It's the same thing, basically. But MSNBC, there's at least a little more honesty around the fact that it's a bunch of left wing bunch of left-wing people who all support the same ideas and policies. CNN still pretends like, oh, no, we're just journalists, man. We're just journalists doing our job, you know, just doing our thing. No, they are not. You'll notice they won't put anyone forward. None of their big, tough anchors, some of whom were involved in perpetuating this hoax from the earliest days. You know, none of them, I mean, they're not tough, obviously, but you know what I mean. They're, they're big, swanky, fancy anchors. None of them are going to go defend their coverage of this publicly. None of them will subject themselves to, to scrutiny and, and not even a hostile, just a neutral environment because they can't defend this. How could they? They wasted two years of our time with this. They wasted two years. And you know, you, when, you, when you see how this, how this is gone and, and all the time on this one, I mean, 28, I mean, here's on the special counsel side, 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, 230 orders, more than that, but 230 plus orders for communication records, 13 requests to foreign governments for evidence, 500 witness interviews. All right, that's that's what this, to get us to here where there's no charges, nothing. Drudge Report had this up today, 533,000 articles published about Russia and Trump. Network News spent 2,284 minutes on the probe. They have fake stories that they've refused to retract. There does need to be a broad recognition among the American people that our news media has betrayed us and they have betrayed the trust that the American people put in them, at least some of them do, to bring them the facts and the truth. They have dishonored that mission. They have disgraced themselves. We should never forgive the media for what they've done to Trump. We should never forget the lies of the last two years. While this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. That's a direct quote from Robert Mueller, the special counsel. They also, but the only place in the document, I think, we're still reading it, where they really go into the reasonable doubt standard. And they talk about how, you know, so what would have to have been proven in order to convict someone of a charge where corrupt intent, engaging, obstructing. They're noting that it's a high legal burden. What was found today was that the president or anyone connected to the campaign won't be charged by the state for you know for things that could have been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. But there's still plenty that Congress and can look into. And that's really the important right. thing. No, what's really the important thing, CNN panel, is that there's no collusion and no obstruction and this is done. It's finished. They they need to learn to accept that. They need to just take take a moment, take a deep breath, and it's it's finished. They tried. They took their best shot at destroying this presidency through underhanded means, and they failed. And they failed. Uh, I know it's hard. There, there's a bit of denialism that has set in here, too, with some on the left. You know, people have taken different. Some are saying on the left, well, we never really thought they were going to prove collusion. You know, others are saying, well, you know, we, we are still going to investigate this. 
And then there's also that group that just is in denial where they say, oh, we're we are just not going to believe this uh, or 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 oh, there's another option, too, which is that this wasn't this wasn't enough, this wasn't fair. The process was somehow favorable to Trump. CNN has this justice reporter guy named Evan Perez, whom I've never heard say anything intelligent really on television, but he they put him on a lot. And and he gave this spin on corrupt intent, essentially saying, well, because the president did not sit down with Mueller, that's why they couldn't prove. I mean, this was just in a day of full, full of very weak, very dumb takes. This was in a class by itself. Play six. So the question is, is it is is the reason why they were never able to answer the question of corrupt intent because the president refused to sit down with the investigators to 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 essentially discuss what he meant by his tweets, what he meant when he told Comey that he should drop the Flynn thing. Uh, what was his, what was going on in his mind? And obviously that was the holy grail for the president's legal team. Uh, I think this was a huge victory obviously that cannot be understated. The fact that the president was went through the this 22-month investigation and never sat down with the investigators is something that I think made a huge difference here. And one reason why uh, Robert Mueller probably could not even get to a conclusion here is that perhaps he was not able to, to complete the investigation. It's also the most obvious thing imaginable. Of course, Trump should not have sat down with Mueller. The whole game that Mueller and his team were playing all the time was to set perjury traps for people. And we know Trump is very kind of fast and loose and speaks in generalities and with hyperbole. And it was an obviously bad idea to have Trump sit down with Mueller, especially because we know Mueller was on a headhunting expedition and was going to try to take anything he could to get Trump. And, and that's also where on this does not exonerate him line that he left in there. I and mean, that was that was gross. That was not ethical. And I have yet to hear anybody with a real legal mind who has tried to justify what was done there. Because Mueller's not supposed to say, well, we, we, we had some stuff on him, but we didn't decide to charge him. But we maybe could have charged him, but we didn't charge him. That's not what prosecutors do. The law is broken or the law is not broken based on the investigation. It is a go or no-go standard. It isn't a yes, no, maybe so. And I like that the Dersh really laid into Mueller on this one. Play clip 12. I thought it was a cop out mm. for him to say that there was not enough evidence to indict, but it's not an exoneration on, on obstruction. And we're going to put a report out on obstruction. We're going to put a report out which says on the one hand, on the other hand, it sounds like a law school exam. That's not the job of the prosecutor. The job of the prosecutor is to decide yes or no. Make a decision. And then if you say yes, you indict. If you say no, you shut up. How is this different than Comey? Comey says, I'm not going to indict Hillary Clinton, but let me tell you, it was a close case. She had all of this stuff, and she was extremely careless, and she did terrible things, but we're not going to indict her. That's not what prosecutors do. Shame on Mueller for not having the guts to come to a decision one way or the other. That's what prosecutors are paid to do. The Dersh is right. I have not heard anybody in the legal profession worth anything say otherwise. It is not the job. When a prosecutor does not bring charges, they don't get to say, well, there was a lot of dirty stuff on you, but we decided not to charge you anyway. That's not that's not how this works. 
All right, prosecutors' offices are not oppo research for political parties, which is what Mueller was really doing all along, as we know. Um, but that also goes to the people who said, oh, how dare you criticize Mueller? No, Mueller deserves to be criticized. Mueller sent dozens of people armed to the teeth on a raid into Roger Stone, senior citizen Roger Stone's quiet home in Florida, because Roger Stone lied under oath about nonsense, allegedly about nothing. Paul Manafort has been in solitary confinement for months, for months, because the special counsel wants him to suffer. Solitary confinement. He's in in a cell alone 23 hours a day. I mean, the guy is not Hannibal Lecter. So the people that were running this whole information operation on how you couldn't criticize Mueller and Mueller's the best and how could anyone say anything bad about Mueller should be ashamed of themselves. What, you mean Mueller like the guy who botched the anthrax case? And Andrew Weissman and what he did to Enron? I mean, you look at some of the people that were, you know, Jeannie Ree, who was uh, involved with the Clinton Foundation as counsel. There were a bunch of Democrats involved here. There were people who had very questionable motives and very questionable judgment all throughout. And that there are so many in the media and in the Democratic Party who pretended that that wasn't so, I just keep, these people have no integrity to protect. And the good part about having no integrity to protect is it just gives you a lot of leeway. You can get away with a lot. If you'll just, if you'll just do anything, if, if you're playing anything to win, you got a lot of options. And that's how the Democrat media and the Democrat party plays, plays the game. Anything to win. You have to abandon all principles and, and ethics and decency, but the Democrats did that a long time ago. In this investigation with Trump, it was scorched earth everything they can to take him down, anything they can to take him down. And they failed, but it was closer than it should have been, my friends. Keep in mind. Yeah, a number of U.S. persons worked with the Russians in one form or another. I think it's been demonstrated now that there was this active engagement. And I'm hoping and I believe that Bob Mueller and his team were going to uncover a lot more that is unknown. I think, as Glenn mentioned, there is a lot that the special counsel's office has been involved in. What do you smell coming between now and the final report from Mueller? Uh, I Which smell, comes between? I smell more indictments. I, uh, family members? Well, I believe that if there are, are going to be family members indicted by the special counsel, it would be the final uh, raft of, of indictments. That's the former CIA director, John Brennan. The only group of people in this whole process that I think look worse than the, the left-wing media are the senior government officials, mostly Obama, but not all Obama appointees, but mostly Obama, or I should say, I think they really all were appointees of Obama's, but at least some of them were from other administrations too. You had these very senior people at places like the uh, the, uh, Director of National Intelligence, DNI, James Clapper, John Brennan, the CIA director, James Comey, the FBI director, Andrew McKay, the deputy FBI director, Sally Yates, the acting attorney general, These people have made complete fools of themselves. And the way that they've acted has really shaken the faith and confidence that any of us should be able to have in these agencies. I feel the the Brennan lunacy in a particularly acute fashion because 
I feel like people now are way less impressed by the whole notion of the CIA and like what kind of people work there and what kind of work they do. And I think people look now at what happened and they say to themselves, what the heck is going on over at the CIA? I mean, how could this guy, John Brennan, have been the top person there? And now he, all he does go on TV. I mean, he said this stuff all the time. More indictments. Maybe the family's going to be indicted. You know, maybe they'll get Don Jr. And maybe they'll get Ivanka and all. He's feeding into this. I mean, John Brennan said the president was guilty of acts tantamount to treason. That's what he said. This is the former CIA director who was the agency director, mind you, when all this Russia collusion stuff was supposedly happening. So every time he gave voice to this, the assumption in the audience was that he must know something. I mean, that's a reasonable assumption. He must know something. The former CIA director is saying that the president committed treason and he's talking about acts that were taken while he was CIA director. He must know something. And this was all part of the con. This was all part of the game that they played. They took these people that were supposed to have credibility. They took these individuals that were supposed to listen to because of you know, the big job titles they had under the Obama administration, and they trotted them out, and they just fed this insanity. Play 15. He did this so many times we could just play you John Brennan crazy clips. Play 15. I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, this week on Friday, not knowing anything about it, but Friday is the day that the grand jury indictments come down. And I don't think Robert Mueller will want to have that dramatic uh, flair of the Ides of March when he is going to be delivering what I think are going to be his indictments, the final indictments, as well as the report that he gives to the attorney general. What makes you believe that he has more indictments? Um, because he hasn't addressed the issues related to criminal conspiracy as well as any individuals. Criminal conspiracy involving the Russian and Russians, yes, yeah. Criminal conspiracy involving the Russians wasn't addressed in the indictments, you genius, because there was no criminal conspiracy involving Trump and the Russians. How could he not know that that was at least a possibility? And what convinced him where did he get all this certainty that there was a criminal conspiracy? This guy was the CIA director, and this is what we, this is what we have. This is what we come up with. Uh, it's it's embarrassing, but you know there's even more embarrassment to go around for the Democrats. Beto, I totally missed you. I haven't talked to you in like a couple of days because I'm campaigning for a president. Beto, yesterday. In South Carolina, yesterday, said the following about Trump. Play 22. You have a president who, in my opinion, beyond the shadow of a doubt, sought to, however ham-handedly, collude with the Russian government, a foreign power, to undermine and influence our elections. The sanctity of the ballot box, the ability for each and every single one of us to make informed decisions about those who seek to represent us and hold positions of public trust. It is beyond a shadow of a doubt that once in office, the President of the United States sought to obstruct justice first by firing the principal investigator into what had happened in the 2016 election, and then, in the light of day, tweeting at his Attorney General to stop the Russia investigation. Oh, wait, Petto must know something that Robert Mueller doesn't because beyond a shadow of a doubt, Beto says Trump wanted to work with the Russians to uh, 
change the course of the election. And turns out that that's not true. Do you think, though, that any of the people that were listening to that, to, to Betomania in action, do you think that any of them believe that the president is now innocent or at least is not guilty because the Mueller probe is over? No, they don't care because they never cared what the facts were. They're going to believe this no matter what, no matter what we tell them, no matter what is said. And that's because there was a, a real insanity here. I mean, I use when I'm talking about this and I'm saying lunacy, insanity, they're nuts, they're wacko. I really mean there was a, there was a psychological break. There was a disconnect here from reality that affected millions and millions of people and affected most of the national press corps. And there were stories in the last few weeks even of, I mean, this was both sad and kind of terrifying. There were stories written in, in a, might have even been the New York Times, but in a major paper about how there were people who were elderly and who were in their last weeks, perhaps, of life, and they had an anxiety, and I'm not making this up, okay? You can check this. They had anxiety because they weren't sure they would make it to see the end of the Mueller probe and Donald Trump being arrested. You know, they, they weren't sure that they would live long enough. And that was, that provoked anxiety. I mean, that was something that was really bothersome to them, the notion that they wouldn't get to see Donald Trump in handcuffs because of the Mueller probe. They had been that thoroughly brainwashed. You, you go back and you look at what was done on Saturday Night Live and the, the, the just how this made its way into the culture. I mean, there were people who, oh my gosh, you know, when, when Jeff Sessions stepped down, remember it was all, oh, what's going to happen? He's going to shut down the Mueller probe now. And all these people and all this Protect Mueller Act stuff from the Congress and just all this grandstanding and this nonsense. And, and that was pathetic enough. But then you also had people who turned Mueller into some kind of a, a, a folk hero. Remember this? This, was, this went viral. It was people singing how they want a Mueller Christmas. Play 27. We wish you a Mueller Christmas. We wish you a Mueller Christmas. We wish you a Mueller Christmas and impeachment next year. Indictments will come to you and your kin. Indictments for Christmas and impeachment next year. Subpoenas galore for all of Trump's men. Indictments for Christmas and impeachment next year. Bring full okay, so we can stop it there because that's just not what normal people would do. That's that's there's there's a, a a kind of sickness at the heart of this. You're singing Christmas carols with your kids about how you're hoping Mueller impeaches the president. I mean, this and there were all these different people on this video, and it got all this attention because anything that was anti-Trump and and pro Mueller would get all this attention. Uh, there's a lot of embarrassment to go around here for people who aren't even in the public eye. I mean, if you really believe that Trump did this thing with Mueller, I'm sorry, did this thing with Putin rather, and he was Putin's puppet, and then took that into the the to the lengths of propagandizing to your kids about it, and at what point do people feel stupid over this? Because they should. A lot of people should feel very, very dumb. Not people listen to this show because you've known the truth all along. But a lot of other people, very dumb on this issue. Avenatti's conduct had nothing to do with zealous advocacy for a client or any other kind of legitimate legal work. Instead, 
Avenatti used illegal and extortionate threats for the purpose of obtaining, of obtaining millions of dollars in payments for himself. Avenatti repeatedly pressured the company to agree to pay or risk having Avenatti hold a press conference that he claimed would dramatically drive down the stock price of the company and its market value. Avenatti told the company it could skip paying for an internal investigation if instead it simply paid him $22.5 million. Then Avenatti said he would, quote, ride off into the sunset. Today, we announce criminal extortion charges against Michael Avenatti. The charges are based on Avenatti's scheme to extract more than $20 million in payments from a public company by threatening to use his ability to garner publicity to inflict financial and reputational harm on the company. What a remarkable turnabout, my friends. Avenatti, dubbed the creepy porn lawyer by none other than uh, than Tucker Carlson, is facing, I think now, if if he were to get the max on all charges, which he won't. And the, the newspapers love to do this thing where they tell you what someone's facing. And they're never going to get that, even if they're guilty. But he's facing over 100 years in prison. It's a long time. Uh, but if he were convicted on these charges, I would say he's he's going to face... Something along the lines of, you know, seven to ten, probably in federal prison. He's, he's got real prison time coming his way because that's the Southern District of New York. There's also a federal case against him that was unveiled today in California. We have another indictment out there in which Michael Avenatti told a client that he would accept money on the client's behalf, lied about the date of payment so that he could keep the money for himself and use that money to get a loan for one of his coffee businesses or something like that. And then kept pushing back the date, the phony date of when he said he would get the money for the client. It was over a million dollars and used that money. That was not his money to begin with. Used that money in the furtherance of a bank loan fraud where he listed that as assets to get multiple millions of dollars in loans from a bank. My friends, let's just all take a moment here to, to drink this in. Avenatti, who was less than a year ago being treated by the media as some kind of rock star, as a possible presidential candidate, and I am not making that up. There were articles written about this guy. I mean, they made him a celebrity lawyer, superhero. But Michael Avenatti, with all of that, now faces the possibility of some really serious prison time and the loss of his law license and, of course, whatever reputation he had. This is really serious. And it's also simultaneously kind of hilarious. Because he's a shady guy. He's a bad guy. People should have known this all along. There's nothing surprising about this. It's just the whole way that he would go after people and uh, his hyper-aggressive and self-promoting manner. I mean, you, you, you didn't have to spend long reading about or seeing this guy on TV to know that he was really bad news. But the Democrats in there just 
insane hatred of this president. I mean, Trump derangement syndrome is such a powerful thing that they are incapable of just using the, the their normal faculties to figure out that someone like Avenatti is a world-class charlatan. I mean, world-class. This guy is such a a phony, and there's there's already so much smoke in his background. You know that there's fire with different shady dealings going on here and there. Um, but, you know, he, he used the representation of Stormy Daniels in an effort to really build up his personal profile and to make himself a household name. And CNN should be, we're going to talk more about media shame in a moment here. I mean, they should be appalled at the fact that they had this guy on over a hundred times, I think was the tally that I saw over the course of two months. I mean, he was on TV, on CNN and MSNBC, like, you know, multiple times a night, every night for months. He was all over the place. People were having serious thoughts about whether this guy was going to run. Democrats, leftists, media types really believe that Michael Avenatti was going to run for president of the United States and that maybe he could take it to Trump. I heard them say this. I heard them. I heard liberals talking about this, uh, you know, in person and on TV. I was amazed. But you have to remember, Michael Avenatti is also accidentally kind of a great American. You have to recall that Michael Avenatti was the individual who was representing the third accuser of Kavanaugh, Julie Swetnick. You know, Avenatti was the one who put his name to that or, or oversaw that document, that sworn affidavit about Kavanaugh and the roving gang rape squads. It was Avenatti who made that thing a national news story, and he was the lawyer representing that woman, and she was quite clearly a crazy person. I mean, she was somebody who really does have severe problems. Uh, I mean, if you saw that interview where she gave her, she's talking about the roving Kavanaugh gang rape squad. Uh, it was so obvious that she was a liar and a disturbed person, an, an emotionally disturbed person. And that Michael Avenatti, as a lawyer, as an officer of the court, which is always kind of funny when you say that about certain lawyers, you think, wow, they're, you mean they're supposed to be ethical? Uh, as, as somebody who's on the court, that's not something that he should have in good faith done. He should not be representing a woman and be part of an obvious political hit job using a, a deeply disturbed human being in order to get his name in the headlines, but he did it. But as a result of him representing Swetnick, I think you have Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh because no honest person could sit there when that third allegation came out and say, okay, so this isn't this isn't a hit, right? I mean, it, it you know, I, I thought that uh, I can't remember her name now, but the main, uh, the main accuser of of Kavanaugh. Thank you, Blasey Ford. I, I I thought that she was a liar, but but a credible liar. Um, I I've I have thought now for oh I've thought the whole time that the second accuser wasn't even really an accuser. You know, she couldn't even really remember the story. I mean, she wasn't even really sure what was going on. Um, you know, she said that she had to ask people, did this really happen to me? You, you're not an accuser when you have to ask people, well, did this thing happen that I'm asking you about whether it happened? 
But the third one, the Julie Swetnick, that was the tipping point. And I think that might have saved that might have saved things for Kavanaugh because the, the White House was very close to pulling that nomination. They almost did it. And, you know, that's where you, you look at the effort and the really the devious machinations involved in a number of these very major news stories that Democrats were involved in. Uh, things like Covington, Kavanaugh, Jussie Smollett, you know, where, where there was a, an obvious concerted effort to either create a narrative or to prop one up after some others had created it. And you, you see that they never learn the lesson, and that's because they don't think there's really a lesson to learn. The mainstream media knows deep down that they are activists. They are taking actions for what they think is a, a broader a broader good, which, as we know, is liberal, left-wing policy, ideas, culture, everything else. Uh, the, the media is so far left that it doesn't even know how far left it is. And that's a very, very real problem. We see that continue to play out. Um, but Av- Avenatti, and I'm going to get into that media piece in a second here, but you know, Avenatti has inserted himself into some of the biggest issues, some of the biggest scandals in America in the last uh, year or so. And now here he is facing serious federal criminal charges. And also, the he's not a very slick guy. It's kind of amazing that he's made as much money and become as famous as he is. When he was trying to extort Nike, and this is the, the basics of the of the plan. You heard the U.S. attorney say it there uh, earlier in this in this segment. But the basics of the plan were: you're going to give me a whole lot of money for kind of a sham investigation, or else I'm going to hold a big press conference and and trash you. And what's amazing is that Nike, when he asked for the 20, was it 20 or 22 million? When he asked for $20 million plus, Nike went to the federal government, went to federal prosecutors and said, or U.S. attorneys and said, hey, uh, this is what's happening to us. And then they got him, and this was in the indictment, which I, I read, and they got him to essentially on tape say exactly what his scheme was in a way that it's going to leave very little little wiggle room for, oh, well, this is just a, a standard legal payoff. You know, the the bar is pretty higher because, you know, the the line between a legal, you know, the line between legal hush money, which this is really a hush money situation. That's what, that's what he was doing here. But the line between legal hush money payment and extortion is not always that clear. But if there is a line, it seems like, this individual, Avenatti, has crossed it and then some. Um, he's also just, the whole, everything about this guy was just so slimy and gross. And I mean, I remember when he went on Tucker's show and the way that he, the way that he uh, acted and the way that he was just going after people and pretending like he's some kind of hero for women's rights by representing, by, by being really a part of a porn star extortion, which is what was going on. I mean, Stormy Daniels, I mean, the hush, hush, hush money is really just a form of legalized extortion anyway. And that's all that was going on there. So this is what this guy is. This is who he is and what he does. But I, I don't want you to forget for one second that he was hailed as a hero when they thought that he was useful for bashing Trump. Avenatti was treated like a hero, a rock star. They could not put him on TV enough. I mean, CNN refuses to have administration officials on TV because they say that they have credibility issues. 
right? There's some administration figures that have been at least temporarily banned from CNN because of their credibility issues. Meanwhile, they had Michael Avenatti on every chance they got because it served a purpose, because they are not journalists. They are activists. They view their role as pushing for an agenda. They are rooting for an outcome. They are not providing you with facts. And we have uh, some more on that very notion coming up in a moment. Despite what Donald Trump keeps saying about no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, people all around him appear to have been involved in some kind of nefarious relationships with Russians. Donald Trump, for the first time in his life, is cornered. He is boxed in by Mueller, and it's on the question of collusion and a massive obstruction of justice. Mueller is now connecting the dots. They know everything about Russia. The most serious counterintelligence people we have in the U.S. government saying, oh my God, the president's words and action lead us to conclude that somehow he has become a winning, unwitting, or half-winning pawn to Vladimir Putin. I think we've done, the media, the press has done one of the great reporting jobs in the history. That is... One of the craziest little montages I think we could pull together for you. And you're you're hearing there from Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein fame that CNN kept putting on the air to just make a complete fool of himself and tell that audience what they wanted to hear, which was that Trump was cornered, Trump's going down, any moment they're going to get Trump. No, they're not. And the way that people just completely debased and humiliated themselves in this effort to be popular with the hashtag resistance is something that I, I will never forget. Uh, and there are people out there who have been honest about this. There are people who, uh, including those who are not Republicans, not conservatives, who saw this for what it was. And I, I got to say, I was on Fox just yesterday uh, briefly, but I was on Fox talking about this, and I, I managed to see the Dersh who was on right before me. And he had a uh, he had a, a just a great moment where he went after specifically CNN on this whole issue of Russia collusion and this this theory, this fantasy. Here's what the Dirt said. Play 13. This is a good day for the president. It's a very, very bad day for CNN. I have to tell you, there should be hanging their head in shame when you think about how many people went out on a limb and predicted there would be indictments for obstruction, there would be indictments for collusion, there would be indictments for this and for that. They made it seem like it was an open and shut case, and they misinformed the American public. And they have to have some public accountability when you say things that turn out not to be true. I completely agree with Dershowitz. Unfortunately, I don't think there will be any accountability because it served the agenda. It served the purpose. Remember, even though they didn't get Trump on collusion, they were able to tell this story and to use it as a means of hurting the presidency, slowing down the presidency, drawing its focus away, drawing its energy and resources away from enacting policy into fighting. I mean, they, they put the administration using this lie. They put the administration on defense. And in that regard, I, I don't think that CNN feels uh, or the Washington Post or any of these ch channels or, or newspapers. I don't think they feel badly about this at all. I just think that they're a little momentarily sheepish about the fact 
that unless you're a moron, you know that these channels acted horrifically. And, I mean, unless you are delusional, this woman writing for the Washington Post today, I got to see if I can find her, who it was, because it was so, so, so bad. This woman writing for the Washington Post said that uh, it, that they did a good a good job. Hold on a second. Where did this one go? Um, I oh yeah, here you go. Margaret Sullivan. Perspective: Serious journalists should be proud and not bullied over their Russia reporting. This is in the Washington Post. She is completely, completely out of her mind. The press, I don't think. I think this is a a death blow for media credibility. I mean, I don't think they ever come back from this. I don't think they're ever going to rebound from this. And I think the media is now permanently fractured. It might take a little time for this to become obvious, but I, I do think that that's where, that's where we're heading now. Um, you, you can't watch this and not realize that these people are just, they're just out of it. They have forgotten about what their jobs are supposed to be. They've abandoned it, and they have no honesty about what they're really doing day in and day out. They serve an agenda. They serve a purpose for the left, and it's a very— Look, it's a it's good work if you can get it from the sense that a lot of them are very highly paid little foot soldiers of the left-wing agenda. They are, you know, operating in, a, in an environment, especially at a place like CNN or MSNBC, wherever around them thinks that they're— doing heroic work because they're carrying water for the Democrats. So there won't be media accountability, but there should be. And at least you and I get to go on with our days knowing that we were right. And all these so-called journalists made complete fools of themselves. Did Robert Mueller deserve better? from the president, that this kind of language and behavior? Frankly, I think the American people deserved better. They didn't deserve for the election of this president to try to be Wait taken Wait a minute, but down. the president's rhetoric about a public servant doing a job. Are you kidding? The president's rhetoric matches. They are literally, the media and Democrats have called the president an agent of a foreign government. Wait, wait, wait. That we're is, talking... But that is an accusation equal to treason, which is punishable by death in this country. Does he owe Robert Mueller an apology for that kind of rhetoric? I think Democrats and the liberal media owe the president and they owe the American people an apology. They wasted two years and created a massive disruption and, and distraction from things that people that impact everyone's day to day life. The gaslighting here is just crazy. That's left winger, left wing, you know, establishment media hack Savannah Guthrie. Does Robert Mueller deserve an apology? Are you kidding me, lady? Does Robert Mueller deserve an apology for what? For what? Because the president said that Mueller's whole thing is a witch hunt. It was a witch hunt. The president's right. Does anyone think that it really took them two years to figure out that there was no collusion? They probably knew within the first three months, maybe the first six months. You know, they were able to pull all the phone records. They were able to pull whatever witnesses they want, whatever electronic communications they wanted to see had all the resources they could ever want or desire for this. But does Mueller, uh, they, they still, they, they're just trying to come up with everything they can to muddy the waters here. You know, it's, it's amazing to watch how the media plays all these games and, and there's so much 
There's so much that they do. It's so transparent, so dishonest, but they can't help themselves. And and one of the ones is to just to find something else to talk about or to make it seem like the real victim here is Mueller. The real person that we need to like focus in on is is how you know is, is Mueller and how he was not treated nicely enough by the president of the United States. So I, I think Mueller's going to be going to be just fine. Um, there was, as as I've been saying, such a, a mass hysteria around this. It's such it's such an embarrassment, and there there should be such a greater deal of embarrassment for the people that bought into all of this. And, and this also then brings me to: Will we see any? any consequences for the people involved i i I think unfortunately the answer is probably not really not really i've i've still thought all along that sally yates played a bigger role in some of this than we've yet found out i just there's something about yates and her conduct and i mean she's definitely a lefty and definitely a true believer leftist um but you know, I, I just wonder if they're all going to get away with this with with an attempted coup against the government, really just a coup using the government apparatus. But people say, oh, that's not fair. You can't call it a coup. Why? And a lot of a lot of coups are are bloodless. They just, you know, the men with guns show up the police or the secret police or whatever. And they say, OK, Mr. Mr. President or King so and so like you're under arrest now. And that's it. You know, and that person then gets thrown in a cell somewhere and the new regime comes into place and that. A coup is not always the palace, you know, or, or the, the seat of government gets shot up and there's bloodshed everywhere and it's a, it's a tank battle in the streets. Sometimes a coup is just, okay, the people in power show up and say, you're now in a cell or, or you have to leave the country. And what they tried against this president was no less than a, a coup, a coup using the judicial system and the, uh, or rather the Department of Justice and the prosecutorial and investigative functions of the federal government. That's that was what the effort was here and the media and the Democratic Party working together on this. And it, it's the biggest scam, the biggest scandal in my lifetime. And while on the one hand, I'm elated. On the other hand, I'm absolutely furious. And that's why I like that Sarah Huckabee Sanders is just not backing down one inch, one inch. Um, here's what she said about uh, about this with Savannah Guthrie, play 24. Let's not forget this took place under the Obama administration. You had people like Clapper and Brennan lying to Congress to perpetuate this idea of Russia collusion against the president of the United well, States. No, I think they're talking about the fact that Russia did in fact meddle in our elections, which is borne out by this latest report and the intelligence agencies of the U.S. And they tried to tie the president of the United States to it, which was completely false and completely wrong. I Notice how it just, you know, she knows the talking points there. Well, there was the Russian meddling. The Russian meddling was a joke, folks. It, it, it was a joke. And I think actually the Russians really believe that it was basically a joke, as in they were just messing with us because that's what they like to do. They weren't going to turn the election one way or the other. They certainly didn't think no one thought Donald Trump was going to win. The Russians didn't think he was going to win. They didn't know anything. They had no idea. They got their own problems. They got their own things going on there. But. Savannah Guthrie, st- you know, sticks to the talking points on that. One. Well, you know, really, the problem is that you just need to look at how Russia was so influential in, in what happened here. And the truth is that Russia was not influential and we should not be in a position 
where we have to keep going back over the same. And I want to see the information, by the way. I would like to see more than just people who said it was 17 intelligence agencies and, you know, they were the ones that made this determination. It's actually four. It was actually individuals, a handful of people, I'm sure, from four of the intelligence agencies that were handpicked by by Brennan, um, by Brennan. So, you know, he's a guy who has done as much damage to the reputation of the federal government in this process as anybody. I mean, I think you could probably argue he's done the most damage um, with the possible exception of James Comey and maybe McCabe, although McCabe wasn't as large of a figure in this. And Peter Strzok was the most egregious in his hatred of the president and the stupidity of his personal communications. But, you know, he's a kind of not a low level, but a lower level guy and not somebody that you would expect necessarily to have the the political know-how and and skills to maneuver at that level. Someone like a Comey, a Brennan, I mean, these guys are effectively politicians who are running major government bureaucracies and that they have been such clowns in this whole thing and, and really so damaging. I mean, if you haven't seen yet Comey standing in, in the woods, looking up at a bunch of trees with his tweet, I have questions, you know, you've definitely missed something. And, and then there's also a, a video that's going around of tr- uh, it's, I can't even really describe it. I think it's called a Pesh- Peshwa warrior video of Donald Trump's face put on these uh, South Asian in this South Asian warrior scene. Oh, it's it's hilarious. I mean, I'm just so excited about all the the celebration and uh, the, the the hilarious stuff that's also going on because we finally get to sit around and look at each other and say, you know, this nightmare is over. But that sense of elation and that sense that we can take a take a breath, you know, you have to balance that out with, well, what does justice really require here? And I think that, unfortunately, justice is going to require, despite what Savannah Guthrie's of the world say, uh, finding out who perpetuated this hoax, because it was not about Russian interference in the election. It was about the president conspiring with Russia to interfere in the election. If it was just about Russian interference, there would not have needed to be a special counsel at all. The special counsel was appointed because they said that Trump was trying to stop the investigation into the interference that Trump committed with Russia in the election, which was all a crazy story for lunatics, but they believed it. This president has a way of trying to get into people's heads and indoctrinate them. He's been saying no collusion, no collusion, no collusion over and over again for a long time now. And he's going to try and conclude uh, that there, this report is proving that there's no collusion. And you have a lot of his sycophants who will, you know, take the nod from him and they'll say the same thing. Uh, but we cannot allow them to get away with this. He does this all the time. This This is not the end of anything. This is the, well, it's the end of the report and the investigation by (laughs) Mueller. But those of us who chair these committees have a responsibility to continue with our oversight. This is not the end of anything. I mean, it's the end of the Mueller investigation, but it's not the end of anything. Maxine Waters. Man, what, what would we do without Maxine representing the left-wing Democrat loony point of view. Uh, there she is. It's not the end of anything. They're, they're going to keep on. We, we knew this was the case. I, I've been telling you this forever. Uh, you know this. I know this. 
that even when presented with the finality of no collusion via Mueller, whom, as I've discussed with you, is not somebody who is favorably disposed toward the president at all, not somebody who was, I think, fair-minded in his approach to this investigation. That doesn't mean he didn't conduct a reasonably fair investigation, but I think that Mueller is someone who did not like President Trump, and that colored his thinking at different points. Uh, it certainly colored the thinking of somebody who, in that memo, said it does not it, it does not convict him, it does not exonerate him. That was unacceptable. It was very comiest moment very reminiscent of james comey with his hillary did all these bad things but we're not going to indict her for violations of the espionage act and obstruction of justice i would note which was far more obvious and far more clearly the case uh with hillary clinton than it was with anything having to do with with donald trump i mean Hil hillary was destroying evidence i mean destroying evidence is about as clear obstruction as you're going to get but they did not charge her. But they, they're not. The, the real point here is that they're not ending it. They're not going to shut down this investigation. They're not going to say, you know what? Maybe we were just being completely insane for no reason. And enough is enough. And we are going to you know, move on with our lives here in some way. That's absolutely not going to happen. And in fact, uh, I still think the dumbest person in Congress is Senator Hirono, although there's there's some competition for sure. But Senator Hirono has also said that, oh, they're just going to keep they're going to keep on this. They're going to stay on this. Play 25. The president who basically cares about protecting himself and money, that he will come out and say this is full exoneration, knowing that uh, that is not the case at all. So meanwhile, the, uh, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee will continue to do whatever he's going to do regarding Hillary, because as long as there's a pulse, they want to go after the Clintons. We should be moving forward at the same time. There's no question that the House committees are going to continue their investigations. So just because there was not enough evidence for a criminal charge of conspiracy does not mean that this very cozy relationship that Donald Trump has with Vladimir Putin, who, by the way, must be really happy uh, that this came about, that th this kind of cozy relationship that is not good for our country uh, in that it's not transparent will continue. First of all, you, you got to get past all the babbling there of just just the nonsense, but the cozy Putin relationship and what does this have to do with anything? But I, I love how she immediately um, goes from, on the one hand, move past the Clinton component of this. Oh, let's not focus on the Clintons, and on the other, but let's keep let's keep investigating Russia collusion. Uh, they've had a special counsel to look into that. It has been two years. It has been tens of millions of dollars and that they won't give it up now just goes to show you that this was never about and one of the more frustrating lies that's told now is that this was just about uh finding out about russian interference in the election i mean the interference in the election was really an attempted interference in the election as in the effectiveness of it is obviously zero uh, if the russians were that good at turning a u.s election they would have to have geniuses at American uh, political propaganda. I mean, they would have to have the smartest team of people on the planet, smarter than all of the different political apparatuses in this country and all the different media and everything else that was just able to to tip the balance perfectly, just get those right voters to... I mean, it's just... It's a, it's a crazy fantasy. But this whole thing has been a crazy fantasy. And that's how we've known all along that when it comes to 
When the Mueller probe comes to an end, it does not mean that the rest of this will necessarily come to an end because, sure enough, um, they want to continue to use this as a harassment campaign against the president. They want to do everything that they can to make sure that they can subpoena people and, and subpoena documents and bring them down. And, you know, it's it's just uh, remarkable. It's just remarkable that they aren't even batting an eyelash as they say, oh, yeah, you know, we're just going to keep on keep on going here. Uh, but let's not investigate Hillary. I, I do believe that the only way to get Democrats to stop, the only way to fight back against the left is to make them live under their own rules and also to do to them as they do to us. And that means that you know, I, I think there's a very uh, a very real argument to be made for appointing somebody to now the inspector general is looking at it so that's what they would say the inspector general is looking at the hillary clinton situation and it won't come out until next summer most likely it's going to be a little while before that ig report is out Um, but i'm hoping that if there's enough in that ig report that there will be some accountability for someone along the way because that's one of the losses here we simply have not had enough people who are, are going to suffer real consequences for what has happened. And not even close. In fact, I think very, very few, if any people, I'm even of the mind that McCabe is unlikely to face criminal charges for just lying under oath, and which other people in the Mueller probe have been caught up in and, and served jail time for. I think that McCabe is going to skate on that because he's part of that, of that statist establishment and they're just not going to want to go after him the way they've gone after others. Uh, but the, yeah, this doesn't end. We knew it would now. Now it's all going to be more Southern District of New York. Although, hey, Southern District with Avenatti. It's going to be Southern District of New York. It's going to be, uh, oh, the big fight over Trump's taxes. And I, I can tell you this, of all the surefire nothing burgers that the Democrats have attached themselves to and made a huge deal out of, of all the nothing burgers that anyone should know are just going to disappoint those who believe that there could be something else going on here. Trump's taxes are going to be boring as all heck. There's nothing in there that anyone should think is particularly interesting or is going to think is interesting or worthwhile. Um, At this point, I think Trump just won't give it to them because they want it so badly. And he like, look, he's great at trolling the media. He knows this. He's great at messing with their heads. And that's part of his intransigence on the taxes issue because the federal government already has it. I mean, the the IRS already has Donald Trump's entire tax history and they could go through it. I mean, they could. I'm sure they have audited him. I think he even said that he's under audit right now or has been under audit. So the feds have already been looking at this. I'm quite certain that there isn't some big wire transfusion from the Kremlin to President Trump for election collusion. I'm quite sure that some of the bizarre and and completely silly theories out there are not going to be proven true, but they're going to latch onto that and a whole lot more because they're not giving up, folks. They don't care what the facts are. They never did. Yesterday, a rocket was fired from Gaza deep inside uh, Israel. It hit a home north of Tel Aviv. It wounded seven, including two small children. And miraculously, no one was hurt. No one was killed. Israel will not tolerate this. I will not tolerate this. And as we speak, as I told you, Mr. President, just now, Israel is responding forcefully to this wanton aggression. I have a simple message to Israel's enemies. 
We will do whatever we must do to defend our people and defend our states. Netanyahu today in a meeting with President Trump talking about recent Israeli actions in response to uh, attacks from Hamas. We've got our friend David Ifun with us now. He is the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. Uh, David, always great to have you. Always a pleasure, Buck. All right, so what, what, first let's just talk about the, this Hamas missile strike. What happened? What's the response? And, and what's sort of led up to this? What are the atmospherics we need to know about with regard to Israel and Hamas right now? Why are the tensions ratcheting up? Well, look, the tensions are always there, simmering, simmering below the surface. And uh, what Netanyahu said is right. I mean, I don't know if, if, if anyone listening has had a chance to look at the, the images, and not the images that you're seeing sort of on the mainstream media outlets, but, you know, the images that are circulating within Israel. You know, you actually see the roof caved in, you see the house in ruins, and you see the little child's crib right there underneath the rubble. So it really was miraculous that, that the damage wasn't wasn't more severe here. Um, you know, in terms of what's behind it and, and, and why we're seeing this now, we've seen a few escalations over the past few weeks. There were certainly different theories in terms of, uh, you know, whether Hamas wants to influence the Israeli elections in some way over the, over the coming uh, weeks. You know, they're coming up pretty soon. Um, but the truth is that, uh, you know, this is the worst uh, impact that we've seen from Gaza rockets for a very, very long time. And uh, the Israeli response has really been ferocious. They've been targeting uh, Hamas control centers and uh, terrorist sites all the way up and down the full length of the Strip, including uh, taking down the Hamas central headquarters of Prime Minister uh, Ishmael Haniyeh. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's a significant response that sort of led to talks of a ceasefire now that's being mediated by Egypt. They say it's going to go into effect at 10 p.m. Uh, tonight. So we'll see how that uh, goes. You know, these ceasefires are notoriously shaky. So, uh, and, and David, this comes right after President Trump, President Trump um, announced this policy of recognizing the Golan Heights as Israeli territory. Just can you speak to what's the significance of that and how is that being received in Israel? Israelis are ecstatic about this across the board. And it's, it really is significant to what President Trump said is, is right, that this should have been recognized years and years and years ago. I mean, the history of that is simple. In, in 1967, in, during the Six-Day War, Syria invaded Israel from the Golan Heights, which have uh, are a strategic elevation, so that it's a very significant, from a security perspective. Um, it was a very hard-fought battle um, in which Israel won back the heights at the cost of uh, the lives of many good men. And, uh, you know, for, for years and years and years, there's been talk that, you know, this, the famous resolution 242, that Israel would return territories, not, not all the territories, it very specifically doesn't use the word all the territories, it just says territories that are gained during that, that war. Uh, but Israel has always maintained that returning the Golan Heights uh, would be something that would be very strategically significant and especially considering how things have been developing in Syria lately, where it's either ISIS or Iran that's going to control that area. 
So it's reached a point where there isn't, even according to those who think it, it should be returned for whatever reason, uh, you know, there's no logical way to give it back to any of those two parties. So, you know, putting all of those elements together, the White House has said, you know, enough is enough. Um, you know, Israel won that territory in a, in a defensive war. And in, in any case, there's nobody to give the territory back to. So, you know, we're going to go with, with Israel's view. Israel annexed it decades ago. So we're going to back Israel's position that this is Israeli territory. And uh, hopefully more countries around the world will follow. What was the holdup with other administrations? I mean, the case you just laid out seems pretty straightforward. So why didn't the Obama administration do this? Well, you know, uh, under the, the Obama administration, there was certainly uh, some some sympathies. And, you know, this is, this is a long, complex discussion. There are lots of different parts to it. Um, but there was a, a, sympathy, a sympathy towards the Iranian position. Uh, the Iranians were obviously allied with the Syrians in the Syrian civil war. Uh, it's the same reason that uh, the Obama administration was reluctant to, to back the opposition at the beginning. Um, they didn't want to, um, you know, do too much that could upset the Iranians at that time. Obviously, this is something that 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 would be, uh, you know, it's a big loss to the Iranian position in that country, and uh, you know, the Obama administration was notoriously sensitive to Iranian concerns, uh, which I think could have been the major factor behind this. Which, of course, is unfortunate and has led to no end of trouble. Uh, the, the position that the Obama administration took. Having said that, it's refreshing that uh, this administration is taking a completely, um, a completely different approach, which is fair and far-sighted and uh, moral, just, and ultimately will benefit the security of the region and the world. And Prime Minister Netanyahu today said that uh, in in his remarks that Israel has had many friends in the White House in this country. But that there is no that Israel has had no better friend than President Donald Trump. I mean, is that sentiment pretty, uh, pretty universal back back in Israel? I mean, how, how are folks? How, how do folks over there view this presidency? Yeah, it's it's pretty universal back in Israel. You know, there are two countries in the world where President Trump is more popular than he is in the United States, and one of those countries is Israel. Um, across the board, he received praise for this decision. Uh, obviously, there's a great deal to say about President Trump, but you know I spent many hours with ambassadors and, and ministers and uh, advisors to the Prime Minister, and I can tell you that they they literally cannot believe their luck with this administration. I mean, on all the key issues that are important to them, on Iran, on Jerusalem, on Palestinian payments to terrorists, on bias against Israel at the United Nations on uh, to Golan Heights. Uh, I mean, it's it's just uh, there's a, a never-ending stream of favorable positions that this administration has taken on issues that have been of huge importance and 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 with very broad political consensus throughout Israel from, from parties across the aisle. So there's absolutely no question that this uh, president is adored uh, in the Jewish state and you know, taking everything else out of the equation and looking solely at the positions that he's taken, I think it's hard to make the case that there has ever been a position that's taken, consistently taken more favorable positions vis-a-vis Israel's security concerns than this president has. And as for Netanyahu's political prospects, I mean, I think we had you on recently, David, to talk about 
the prospect of an indictment of Netanyahu in Israeli criminal court. Well, what is this guy's what, what's his status? Uh, how are things going? Well, look, the way that things work in Israel, um, it, it takes a while for these things to, to process. I mean, some of some of these uh, investigations and indictments and and and, you know, the process of, of, of uh, you know, prosecuting or attempting to prosecute uh, someone in that position could take a very, very long time. So Israelis are kind of used to political life continuing uh, with with these sort of uh, legal issues taking place in the background. So the announcement happened early enough that it seems that it's sort of baked into the numbers that we're seeing today at this stage. And the decision that Israelis are going to make is not likely to take um, the legal issues into account too much. I mean, now the question really is, you know, Netanyahu's been there for a decade. He's the the longest serving prime minister ever, I think, or the second longest. It's very close with David Ben-Gurion. And the question is, you know, whether Israelis are going to say it's time to try somebody new. But certainly there's a lot of appreciation for Netanyahu and, and what he's done for the country uh, on on the security front, on the diplomatic front, on the economic front. Um, and, you know, in the end of the day, that's the choice that, that uh, the people in the country are going to make. You know, do they want to have someone who has proven effectiveness or, you know, are they ready to try somebody new? Is it time for somebody new? And, you know, that's really how it works in democracies. You know, you've got to You've got to change things up a little bit every once in a while. So, um, just just tell any just tell Netanyahu and anybody else who's running just don't 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 talk to any Russians because that can that can cause problems for you apparently. David Afu and everybody check out the Algaminer online algaminer.com. David, always good of you to make the time, my friend. Thank you. Always a pleasure, bud. Team, we are going to come back with a whole lot more shows. Stay with me. There are some idiosyncratic topics that I like to talk about on this show. You know that, right? There are certain things, like occasionally I just need to tell you about the dangers of carpet sharks, you know, and how they look all cute and little wiener dogs and the whole thing. But then, you know, you lift it up at the baby shower in front of like all your girlfriend's friends and it tries to bite your face off, you know? So I just want to, I wanted to warn you about that. So you need to understand that a decrepit, ancient-looking dachshund, a.k.a. a carpet shark, can be dangerous. Uh, also, I'm a big proponent of, and this is going to tie into our topic here, of comfortable footwear. This is why some of you have seen before, I've even gone on national TV wearing old, beat-up boat shoes, also known as my Sperry's, and you say, Buck, you shouldn't... Do- well, I know, usually I think they're not going to see my feet. It's just occasionally because of the TV shot, they may see my feet, but you want to have comfortable feet. It's very important to have comfortable feet in life as a general thing. And I try to convince, and I'm not trying to be sexist here. I'm trying to be anti-sexist. I try to convince ladies out there that if you're, you know, if it's night out on the town or you're, you know, you're going to like a fancy dinner party or, you know, going out, whatever, going out to a gala or whatever people do who actually have social lives. You know, yeah, of course, high heels, you go for the whole thing. But when I see women walking into the office in heels, I just always want to say, you know, that's got to, that's, that can't be fun. You know, that's not how I'd go if I were you. Then again, I, believe it or not, don't have much experience walking around in high heels. So I don't really know what I'm talking about. But men's suits are another area of my ire. Because I just think that the, the traditional men's Western suit is not a very comfortable garment. Um, I'm I'm really more okay with, 
the suit jacket. Suit jackets don't really bother me, although they're never that comfortable, but they, they can be pretty good. Suit pants, though, are terrible. And wool, which, as we know, most, especially winter suits, you got to have it in, in wool. Wool is not a very comfortable fabric compared to other stuff that's out there now. Now, people say to me, Buck, you sound like a savage. What is wrong with you? And to that, I say, I understand that I'm breaking with the consensus here. But for all of you who have to wear suits to work, you know what I'm talking about. And it really confines you. And there's also no such thing as a suit, let's be honest. Unless, for, for those in the audience that have a, you know, that have washboard abs, congrats, and we all secretly are jealous. But, uh, you know, if you, if you sit down, you're wearing a men's suit, and, you, and it's wool, it has very little stretch. And so it tends to not be very comfortable when you sit down because some people have a little bit of a tum-tum that can form when you sit down. So I'm just saying, suits are not a lot of fun. Turns out, I'm not alone in this one. Wall Street Journal has a piece today that says, men ditch suits and retailers are struggling to adapt. You have more and more uh, major companies and organizations that are saying that you no longer have to wear a suit in the office. Uh, in fact, Goldman Sachs, which is a, a very fancy place, as you know, most famous investment bank and most powerful investment bank, I think you could say, in the world, they no longer require their employees to wear a suit in the office. And there are only a couple of high-powered law firms in New York that still require suit and tie. I think suits might be required, but not suit and tie. There's only a couple, and people are moving away from this. A tie is kind of a ridiculous thing. And you've probably noticed that I wear ties less. Those of you who see me on Fox, I wear ties less than I used to because, yes, I know, it kind of completes the look, and there's a formality and a... And a you know, pulls it all together vibe to, to wearing the right tie. But it, it's it's pretty ridiculous. You know, you're, you're tying this rope around your neck, basically. It's not a very not a very wise thing. Tactically, for those of you that are from the tactical community, you know, you don't want to have something tied around your neck like that, just inviting the enemy to take advantage. Uh, but suits are now on the way out. In fact, suits are down 8% since 2015. The men's suit market, and that's almost $2 billion dollars. People are not spending as much money on suits anymore, you know, and I, I think one of the reasons for that is that, for, first of all, you know, a, a suit that is really going to fit you well is going to be custom made. Off the rack is pretty tough to get totally right because, look, we all have different size bodies. It doesn't make any sense, right, that a suit which has certain fixed, you know, especially in the shoulders and, you know, there are fixed parts of it that you can't really adjust all that much and it's, it's difficult for you to find or just be lucky. It may be, you know, Sometimes you'll get one. You say, oh, this fits me perfectly, but usually not. But now you get people that are wearing these uh, as the equivalent of men's yoga pants to work. And Lululemon for men, Lululemon is a very trendy and high-end athletic apparel company. Lululemon men's pants are now, and you know what, I'm not, I, team? I'm not going to hide this from you. I own a pair of Lululemon men's pants. You've never seen me. I haven't posted any photos of me wearing them or anything like that. They're not tight. So before you think that I'm walking around in a male version of yoga pants, they are not tight. Um, but they are, I will tell you, they are incredibly comfortable. And once you start wearing them around a little bit, you're like, you know what? I don't think I really want to, you know, old pair of blue jeans, pretty good because blue jeans can kind of mold to you a little bit. The cotton stretches in a way that, you know, blue jeans definitely have a, a, a comfort level at other pants. But, you know, you compare it to things like corduroy and uh, these other, any, any kind of wool suit pants, not even close, not even close. So I'm really hoping that we can all move in part of our evolution as a species, that human beings, we, we can 
stop thinking that we have to maintain these old fashioned trends of using uncomfortable, particularly heavy and not very breathable fabric. Because folks, you only go through life once. Shouldn't we, shouldn't our clothing be comfortable? You know, there's a guy who tried to hop on a plane in Russia and said, and he was totally naked. This was in the news today. The New York Post reported on this. Totally naked. And he jumped on the plane and he said, but you don't understand. It is more aerodynamic. That's actually what he said. It's more aerodynamic because he got on a plane naked. Now, before we cast any judgment on this man, do we know if he has a degree in astrophysics? I don't. So I don't know if I'm necessarily going to say that he's wrong. Is naked more aerodynamic than clothed? I think the answer is probably yes. Although maybe it depends on your proportions and the kind of clothing you're wearing. But I like to think outside the box, team. And I think that the suit, the suit and tie, I, I, I'm hoping we evolve out of it. I think, it first of all, it hasn't been around that long. And I think it's, uh, it's time to say bye-bye to the tie. You really don't want anything around your neck like that. And wool suit pants are just, they're itchy. They're uncomfortable. They're, they're just generally not the kind of stuff that you want to be wearing. Um, and, and Lululemon, maybe you don't like Lululemon, but you know, when Under Armour comes out with pants that you can wear to the office, I'm telling you, some of you are going to put them on. You're going to say stretchy, stretchy in my pants. That sounds weird, but you know what I mean? Stretch pants. They're a good thing. Not just for the ladies, for the guys out there too. This has been Buck's fashion segment for the show today. We'll be right back. Later this week, I'm going to be in El Paso, Texas, and I will be talking to Immigrations and Customs Enforcement and members of uh, Border Patrol about what's going on at the, uh, in the Rio Grande sector of, of Texas because we're, we're already getting early reports that the number of migrants at the border is, it has just exploded over the last month. Uh, we certainly have anecdotal reporting about how these facilities are overwhelmed and how there's just no real plan in place for dealing with this. And Axios today has this up. Exclusive DHS data shows growing surge of migrants at the border. And uh, this is from a new department, new department of Homeland Security data obtained by Axios. Um, they don't give real numbers in here, which I think is interesting. And they certainly couldn't give numbers for the month because obviously the month is not over yet. So they would be premature to give monthly numbers. But I think what happened here is Axios probably got a, a peak at the spike that has been happening in March because the weather is a little bit warmer. Now is a better time to cross. And people say, oh, Buck, the desert, it's really hot. No, that's not true. Those of you who actually live down there know that it is quite cold at night in the desert, especially in the wintertime. So there's going to be a big surge in the numbers. I'm hoping to come back with a lot of data, a lot of uh, interviews and, and stories to print and talk about here on radio that will allow me to raise this issue all the way up to the, the top level at the White House because people really do need to focus in on this one. All right, the Mueller probe is gone. The Mueller probe is over and, and done with. So now it's time to focus again on the agenda. And at the very top of that agenda needs to be, what are we going to do about the southern border? We need to take action. This is not a sufficient state of affairs. The current situation is just flatly unacceptable. This cannot continue as is. And so that means that there needs to be some kind of 
meeting between the Republicans and the Democrats, because this is a congressional thing, folks. It's not just Trump, because if Trump just gives an order, it'll be challenged in the courts. And I would argue that even if there is congressional action, if it is not open borders friendly enough, then you'll have some left wing judge who will decide that the duly passed statute is not, in fact, uh, acceptable. So I, I just want to note that this is a very this is a worsening situation and it's one that I'm, I'm going to be raising. I hope that I can get the folks here in D.C. to pay attention. I'll certainly have stories to tell all of you about this. And I will have really seen one a uh, in San Diego, a place where the border fence, the wall really works and what that means for that area and, and how that has helped and how that has brought down illegal crossings. But in El Paso, what I'm going to see is what it means when there is a massive loophole loophole that's being exploited by people that want to come into the country illegally. Um, this is this is going to be a this is going to be a, a, a big deal because not only is it a moment of I know that we're maybe getting a little tired of winning right now with Trump the last couple of days, but not only is it a an inability to follow through on the promises made by the Trump administration. If we're going to be honest about this, and I want to always be honest about things with you, and we should always be honest with ourselves about what's happening in this country, the border right now is in worse shape than at any time in really the last decade. And that's just completely unacceptable. I mean, that is just madness. So, we're going to drill down on this one. I'm going to have more for you. I'm going to be doing the show from El Paso, Texas on Thursday. And then because of flights and scheduling, I'm going to have uh, a sub on the show on Friday. I think it's going to be the Godfather, Michael Pelka. So we're going to have the Godfather in on Friday. You haven't heard from him in a while. He misses all of you. So he'll be joining in and, and doing a, a great show, as is his, as is his custom. Um, but, and I, and I'm sorry that I'm going to be out. I, you know, I hate being out from this show, but I, I do think it's worth it to get down for a couple of days and see what's really going on at the border. And so then when I talk to you about it as well, I can bring all of that firsthand, uh, experience and those conversations into our analysis of what's really happening here. And I think that that's, that's well worth it. So Thursday I'll be from El Paso, Texas and Friday, uh, you'll have a guest and roll call is next. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. A uh, glorious day, my friends. Glorious day. Good day for Trump. Good day for conservatism. Good day for America. And with that, I think it's worth uh, getting into our, our latest on roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be a part of the action. Thomas, great show on Rising this morning, Buck. After listening to Gene Rossi, I get the impression he is supporting Jerry Nadler on trying to generate a wedge on A.G. Barr's summary report. Rossi stated that it was Mueller's decision to determine if there was sufficient evidence to declare obstruction by President Trump and then make the charge that there was. Wrong. That is the same fine line crossed by Comey in the Clinton investigation. 
Robert Mueller was tasked to investigate any collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia in order to corrupt the election. Mueller was tasked on the umbrella of a counterintelligence investigation, a significant point. In that context, Mueller's function is as an investigator, not a prosecutor. Both Rossi and Nadler are trying to convince everyone the decision on obstruction of justice was up to Mueller. They are wrong. Mueller's function was to gather all pertinent information and provide it to the AG, the assistant AG, and the DOJ panel. Once done, the final decision is made by the AG. Thomas, you're correct, sir. And the people who are saying uh, continuously here that there's something there's something inherently improper about what's gone on because Barr made the you know Barr made the final call don't understand that Barr is the one who makes the final call. So they can complain as much as they want, but you know he is the umpire. He is the one, and that's why this this report when people say, "Oh, well, Mueller said this, and then Barr said that." Yeah, Barr's the final word, and the final word is no collusion, no obstruction. That is the final word. Uh, all righty, here we go. Rachel writes, "Hey, my daughter can only say a few words, but high buck is one of them." When I listen to your listen to your podcast and she sees your face, she always enthusiastically says, "Hi, Buck. Enjoy the video. Shields high." Oh wow, she does say "Hi, Buck" in the video. That's so cute. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Rachel. That's great. That's really cute. She's adorable. Your family's lovely. Thank you for setting in the the baby saying "Hi, Buck." Um, Harry. All right, say about catch, catching up on the podcast. I am totally with you on the athletic absurdity in colleges and beyond. There's something really wrong with a society that rewards an entertainer to play and game a thousand times more than we do an educator. Shields high, uh, shields wall high and strong, Harry. Well, Harry, I'm glad, you know, there, there are some folks who agree with me. And, and remember, I'm not, I'm not taking the opinion that, oh, we should get rid of recruiting because it wouldn't have an effect on college athletics or no, no I, I'm taking the opinion that we should dramatically change the focus that we currently place on athletics in college, that we should, we should not allow ourselves to be sucked into this belief that sports teams are as important as everything else that's going on because they are not. All right. They're just not, especially when you get outside the major sports that do generate uh, serious revenue and, and, and ticket receipts. There's only a few that do folks. Football, basketball, and then maybe a couple other sports at a couple other schools, depending. But it's really football and basketball, the, the huge generators of revenue in the NCAA. I mean, you know, there's no NCAA soccer team that's making massive money for their school. And as you know, most, because you listen to this show, most athletic programs lose money for their schools. That is a fact. Uh, all right, Julie, and it's not most like 51%. It's like 95 or 97%. I mean, they almost all lose money for their schools, meaning that the schools spend more on athletics than they make back on athletics. And the rest of the student body subsidizes those sports. Okay, Julie writes, hey, Buck, here's the deal on Hickenlooper. He's a total tool. He's a beta male, and he's running for VP. He was twice governor in Colorado and basically sat there looking like a doofus. A woman president has to have a male VP because if she has a woman, the inevitable gossip of catfights and style wars and who wore it better will happen. Fingers crossed the first woman president is Nikki Haley. Great show, Julie. Well, Julie, thank you so much. And thanks for 
educating me a bit on uh, Mr. Hickenlooper and uh, what his circumstance, what his situation is. So good for me to know. Bobby, I was going to suggest the same site, although I haven't tried it myself. Love your show, Buck. OSS. How to block annoying robocalls that you keep getting. I, and then he sent me a CNBC site on this. You know, I, I have a an app on my phone that's supposed to block them. I think it does a reasonable job of blocking some of them. But I think most of the time it the calls actually get through. Uh, I, I find it very, very frustrating um, how much robocalling irritates me on a, on a regular basis. And we just should be able to get rid of this entirely. There's no excuse for why. Remember there was a time, I don't know how many of you got this one, but it was, hi, I'm Julie from the reward center. Would you like to go on a cruise? And you're just like, no, Julie, I don't want to go on a cruise. I want to not answer my phone and have a stupid robot screeching at me. Buck, why are you so mean? Stop it, Julie. Ah, uh, that's, Stop whining. Willie writes, Hey, Buck, enjoy your show daily on the podcast. The Mueller investigation should be investigated. Too many people charged with lying, obstruction of justice. How can you obstruct justice if there was no crime? Well, I mean, you, you can ob obstruct justice if there is no underlying crime. Uh, it's harder to do. It certainly is um, a more difficult case usually to prove. But I, I think the most compelling defense for the president on that one is that one he didn't actually obstruct anything that the investigation that the firing of comey was not a was not actually an act of obstruction because the investigation continued on anyway so it was it was and he has a constitutional ability to fire comey he has the constitutional right to fire comey for any reason he can fire comey because he does not like the tie he wore one day uh so I, I do not think that obstruction is a is a strong place for the Democrats to go. And keep in mind, they're just trying to go somewhere. They're trying to find something. Uh, Jonathan writes a long one here. Hello, Buccinator podcast listener in New York. So I have very few alternative listening points here. I'm proud to say I start off all my mornings with the buck blasting. I was a past liberal, so I guess you can say I grew up and started paying attention to the world around me. And no one seriously would think that a person would be so stupid as to corroborate with Russia to win votes or collaborate with Russia to win votes. Uh, probably easier to collaborate with Mexico to win 2020. Wink, wink. Hopefully there'll be charges soon. This is literally one of the biggest conspiracies ever to grace this nation. Anyway, I wonder, did you ever get to play up north when you were in Iraq? Um, Shields high. Keep fighting for the cause. Uh, Jonathan, I was up north in Iraq and I am... Fond of our Kurdish friends and allies from that experience. That much uh, I can say. Thanks for writing in, my friend. Appreciate it. Uh, Gregor. I always thought Gregor's a cool name. Why Mueller had to find no collusion. This allowed him to look primarily forward and not have to delve into the dossier, its origins, or the people involved in its origination. Uh, yeah, I mean... Gregor, I think that we may hopefully get answers to all those other issues now, but we will have to see. Andres. Uh, hold on a second. What's up, Buck? A few things. Most recently, I noted your conversations regarding the assembly of military three-letter agency folks and law enforcement for a movie powwow. Cultural appropriation, I guess. Anyway, I think that's great for a number of reasons. 
Uh, first, those who follow you, dig your style and trust your judgment on the show's content. For me, I like what you and your team put together. The jokes, impressions, movie quotes, commie bear, food interests, what Molly's doing, dog stuff, and history keeps us interested and loyal. That's a good thing. Secondly, you're masterful at what you do. I can only guess why you're successful, but I believe it's because you stay the course and adhere to principles, a personal and professional discipline of sorts. That's cool, Buck. You might, or rather, you want movie night analysis, do it. You want what's your favorite MRE recipe hack day? Do it. French Bulldog Friday. I'm tuning in. You get the idea. Keep being Buck. I'll be there. Shields high. Andres. Andres, man, thank you so much for the encouragement. And it is something. Look, I mean, I understand that when you're doing a daily news, a daily news kind of show, as, as I do, you know, you're going to hear people are going to say, you know, no collusion. You're going to hear that on every radio show today and probably every day this week from every show. No collusion. You know, OK, yeah, we all get it. So there's no collusion. That's important. We got to talk about it. But when you come here, I want you to get other things, too. And, and I make a special point of, uh, one, having this be a, a real time to hang out and, and actually talk to the team. So that's that's always part of the ethos here. We are having a conversation. I am talking to you like you are sitting in the room. And in fact, I was told that originally by my first real mentor in radio, that this is a one-to-one -one conversation with a close friend. And that if you approach your craft of radio that way and you really believe that and that's how you think of what you are doing you know i'm not crazy like i see pink elephants and think you're in the room with me all of you listening but i i do kind of think you're all in the room with me and and that should come across in the way that we do this show um and as for uh, the movie plan about having some spec ops guys pull apart we'd have to do some editing beforehand because you couldn't watch the whole movie but if we could pull just some some great scenes and talk about them i think that could be a really fun short show um i just, I just don't know if we'd have to get rights clearances for the movie to use and stuff like that it's that's where it gets a little bit more complicated but andres man thank you so much for the encouragement everybody make sure you take a little time today for yourself and just you know take a little victory lap i don't know if that's around your house or around the block or gonna go for a little little nice evening drive but go for a little victory lap play some of your favorite tunes it's a big victory what's going on here and i'm sure that many of you have been criticized by friends or you've just had those moments of self-doubt where you know why do all these people really think the president's a traitor and how could they all believe this and am i am i the one who's missing this and we, we all have self-doubt on these issues at different points but you stayed the course i stayed the course and at the end of the day we were right, and we were able to stay with the team and fight because, indeed, team, we kept our shields high.